Section 31 of Celebrated Travels and Travelers, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Celebrated Travels and Travelers, Volume 2, Great Navigators of the Eighteenth Century, by Jules Verne. Second Part, Chapter 1, Part 2. French Navigators, 2D. The Boussole and the Astrolabe set sail on the 29th of September, 1787. Monsieur de Lesseps, vice-consul for Russia, who had accompanied La Perouse thus far upon his expedition, was charged to return to France by land, at that time a most perilous journey, and to convey dispatches from the expedition to the government. The question now arose of finding land discovered in 1620 by the Spaniards. The two frigates passed south of 37 degrees 30 minutes, some 300 leagues, without finding any trace of it. Crossing the line for the third time, they passed the site given by Byron as that of the dangerous islands, without finding them, and, upon the 6th of December, entered the Navigator Archipelago, the merit of discovering which belongs to Bougainville. The vessels were at once surrounded by pirogues, the natives who manned them did not give La Perouse a very favorable idea of the beauty of the inhabitants. Quote, I saw but two women, he says, and they had no delicacy of feature. The younger, who may have been eighteen years of age, had a frightful ulcer upon her leg. Many of these islanders were covered with sores, which may have been the commencement of leprosy for I noticed two men, whose ulcerated and swollen legs left no doubt as to their malady. They approached us fearlessly and unarmed, and appeared as peaceable as the natives of the Society or Friendly Islands." Upon the ninth of December, anchor was cast off Mauna Island. Next day the weather was so promising that La Perouse resolved to land to take in water, and then set sail at once, as the anchorage was too bad to admit of a second night's stay. Every precaution having been taken, La Perouse landed, and proceeded to the spot where his sailors were obtaining water. Captain Langle penetrated to a small creek about a league from the watering-place, and this excursion, from which he returned delighted with the beauty of the village he had seen, was, as will be seen, the cause of our misfortunes." Upon the shore, meantime, a brisk trade was going on. Men and women sold hens, parrots, fruits, and pigs. At the same time a native, getting into one of the sloops, possessed himself of a hammer, and commenced dealing vigorous blows upon a sailor's back. He was speedily seized by four strong fellows and thrown into the sea. La Perouse penetrated into the interior, accompanied by women, old men, and children he enjoyed a delightful excursion through a charming country which rejoiced in the double advantage of a soil which required no culture and a climate in which clothing was superfluous breadfruits cocoa-nuts bananas guavas and oranges afforded a wholesome and sufficient nourishment to the inhabitants while chickens pigs and dogs which lived upon the surplus fruits afforded a necessary change of diet the first visit passed over without serious danger. There were a few quarrels, it is true, but thanks to the prudence and reserve of the French, who kept on their guard, 
they did not amount to anything serious. La Perouse had given orders to re-embark, when Monsieur de Langle insisted upon sending for a few more casks of water. He had adopted Captain Cook's views, he thought fresh water preferable to all other things which he had on board, and as some of his crew showed signs of scurvy, he was right in thinking that every help should be given them. La Perouse, from the first, had a presentiment against consenting. But he yielded when Monsieur de Langle persisted that a captain is responsible for the health of his crew, that the spot which he named was perfectly safe, that he himself would command the expedition, and that three hours would suffice for the work. Quote, Monsieur de Langle, says the narrative, was a man of so much judgment that his representation influenced my decision more than anything else. Next day, two boats, under command of Monsieur Boutin and Monsieur Moton, conveying all the sufferers from scurvy, under charge of six armed guards and a captain, in all twenty-eight men, left the astrolabe to be under Monsieur de Langle's orders. Monsieur de Langle was accompanied in his boat by Monsieur de Lorinan and Monsieur Colonnet, who were invalids, and Monsieur de Varignas, who was convalescent. Monsieur de Gobien commanded the sloop, Monsieur de la Motinere, Monsieur Levant, and the elder Ressevour were amongst the thirty-three persons sent by the Boussole. The entire force amounted to sixty-one, and those the picked men of the expedition. Monsieur de Langle ordered every one to be armed with guns, and six swivel guns were placed in the sloop. Monsieur de Langle and all his companions were greatly surprised when, instead of a large and commodious bay, they found a creek filled with coral, which it was only possible to reach through a tortuous channel, where the surf broke violently. Monsieur de Langle had only seen this bay at high tide, and as soon as this new sight met his view, his first idea was to regain the former watering-place. But the friendly appearance of the natives, the number of women and children he observed among them, the quantities of pigs and fruit they offered for sale, put his prudent resolutions to flight. The water-casks of the four boats were landed quietly, the soldiers keeping order upon the shore, and forming a barrier which left a free space for the workers. But this peaceful condition of affairs did not last long. Many of the pirogues, having disposed of their wares to our vessels, returned to the shore, and, landing in the bay of our watering-place, it was soon entirely filled by them. In place of the two hundred natives, counting women and children, whom de Langle had found an hour and a half previously, there were now, at the end of three hours, a thousand or twelve hundred. Monsieur de Langle's situation became more perilous every moment. He succeeded, however, seconded by Monsieur de Varignas, Monsieur Botin, Monsieur Collier, and Gobien, in embarking the water-casks but the bay was almost dry, and he could not hope to get his boats off before four o'clock in the afternoon. However, followed by his detachment, he attempted it, and, leading the way with his gun and the soldiers, he forbade firing until he should give the order. He felt that he would soon be forced to fire. Already stones were flying, and the Indians who were in shallow water surrounded the sloops for a distance of at least two hundred yards. The soldiers who were already in the boats tried in vain to drive them back. Monsieur de Langle was anxious to avoid beginning hostilities, and fearful of being accused of barbarity, 
otherwise he would no doubt have ordered a general discharge which would effectually have scattered the multitude but he believed he could subdue the natives without bloodshed and he was the victim of his humanity very soon a storm of stones thrown at short distances with the force of a sling struck almost all who were in the sloop m de langle had only time to discharge his gun he was thrown over and unfortunately fell outside the sloop he was at once massacred by more than two hundred indians who assailed him with clubs and stones as soon as he expired they fastened him by one arm to the sloop no doubt with a view to despoiling the body the sloop of la boussole under monsieur botin was run aground within four yards of that of the astrolabe and parallel between them was a narrow channel not yet occupied by the indians by this outlet all the wounded who were fortunate enough to avoid falling into the open sea escaped by swimming they reached our boats which fortunately had remained afloat and we succeeded in saving forty-nine out of the sixty-one men who had composed the expedition m botin had imitated m de langle he would not fire and only gave orders for a discharge after his commander's shot naturally at the short distance of four or five paces every shot killed an indian but there was no time to reload m botin was knocked down by a stone and fortunately fell between the two stranded boats those who had escaped by swimming towards the two boats had received many wounds mostly on the head whilst those who less fortunate had fallen overboard upon the side near the indians were killed instantaneously the safety of forty-nine of the crew is due to the good order which m de verignas was wise enough to maintain and to the punctuality with which m moton who commanded the boats of the boussole carried out his orders the boat belonging to the astrolabe was so overloaded that it grounded the natives at once decided to harass the wounded in their retreat they hastened in great numbers towards the reefs within six feet of which the boats must necessarily pass the little ammunition which remained was exhausted upon these savages and the boats at last emerged from the creek la perouse's first idea was naturally to avenge the death of his unfortunate companions but m de botin who although severely wounded retained all his faculties begged him to desist representing to him that if by any mishap one of the boats ran aground the creek was so situated being bordered with trees which afforded secure shelter to the natives that not a frenchman would come back alive la perouse remained for two days upon the scene of this terrible disaster without being able to gratify the vindictive desires of his crew no doubt says la perouse quote, it will appear incredible that during this time five or six pirogues left the shore bringing pigs pigeons and coconuts and offering them in exchange i was forced to control myself or i should have disposed of these natives summarily enough it may readily be supposed that an event which deprived la perouse of a large number of officers and of thirty-two of his best sailors was calculated to upset the plans of the expedition at the slightest approach of danger it would now be necessary to destroy one frigate in order to arm the other but one course remained for la perouse to set sail for botany bay 
reconnoitering the various islands he passed and taking their astronomical positions. Upon the 14th of December, Oyolava, another island belonging to the same group, and which Bougainville had seen from a distance, was sighted. It was larger than Tahiti, and exceeded that island in beauty, fertility, and in the number of its inhabitants. The natives resembled those of Mauna in every particular, and quickly surrounded the two frigates, offering the multifarious productions of their island. It appeared that the French must have been the first to trade with them, for they were quite unacquainted with the use or value of iron, and preferred a single colored bead to a hatchet or a nail six inches long. Some of the women had pleasant features and elegant figures. Their eyes were gentle and their movements quiet, whilst the men were wild and fierce in appearance. Pola Island, also belonging to the Navigator Archipelago, was passed upon the 17th of December. Probably the news of the massacre of the French had already reached this people, for no pirogue approached the vessels. Coconut Island and Schouten's Trader Island were recognized upon the 20th of December. The latter is divided by a strait, which the navigators would not have perceived had they not coasted close in shore. About a score of natives appeared, bringing the finest coconuts La Perouse had ever seen, with a few bananas and one small pig. These islands, which Wallace calls Boscoen and Capel Islands, and which he places one degree thirteen minutes too far west, may also be considered part of the Navigator Archipelago. La Perouse considers the natives of this group as belonging to the finest Polynesian race tall vigorous and well formed they are of a finer type than those of the sandwich islands whose language is very similar to theirs under other circumstances the captain would have proceeded to explore oyolava and pola islands but the memory of the disaster at mauna was too recent and he dreaded another encounter which might end in massacre Quote, painful associations he says met us with every succeeding island in the Recreation Islands, east of the Navigator Archipelago, Ragavine's crew had been attacked and stoned to death. At Trader Island, which was now in sight, Schouten's crew were the victims, and in the south was Mauna Island, where we ourselves had met with so shocking a calamity. These recollections affected our way of dealing with the Indians. We now punished every little theft and injustice severely. We demonstrated by force of arms that flight would not save them from our vengeance. We refused to allow them to come on board, and threatened to punish all who did so without permission, with death. These remarks prove that La Perouse was right in preventing all intercourse between his crews and the natives. We cannot sufficiently praise the prudence and humanity of the commander who, in the excited condition of his men's minds, knew how to curb the desire for vengeance from the navigator islands the route was directed to the friendly archipelago which cook had been unable to explore entirely upon the twenty seventh of december vavau island was discovered one of the largest in the group which had not been visited by the english navigator as large as tonga tabu it is higher and not wanting in fresh water la perouse reconnoitred many of these islands and entered into relations with the natives who, however, did not offer sufficient provisions to make it worth his while to trade. 
he therefore resolved upon the first of january seventeen eighty eight to go to botany bay following a route not yet attempted by any navigator pillstart island discovered by tasman or rather the rock of pillstart for its entire length is but a quarter of a league presents but a steep and broken appearance and serves only as a resting place for seabirds on this account la perouse having no reason for remaining wished to hasten on to new holland but there was another power to be consulted the wind and by it la perouse was detained for three days before pillstart norfolk island and its two islets were sighted upon the thirteenth of january la perouse cast anchor within easy distance of shore intending to allow the naturalists to land and inspect the productions of the island but the waves broke with such violence upon the beach that landing was impossible yet cook had landed there with the greatest facility an entire day was passed in vain attempts and was quite unproductive of scientific results next day la perouse started afresh and upon entering the roadstead of botany bay encountered an english vessel under command of commodore philip who was engaged in constructing port jackson the embryo of that powerful colony which in our day after only a quarter of a century's growth has attained to such a height of civilization and prosperity here the journal kept by la perouse terminates a letter written by him from botany bay upon the fifth of february to the naval minister informs us that he intended building two sloops to replace those which had been destroyed at mauna all his wounded amongst them monsieur lavaux the surgeon of the astrolabe who had been trepanned were perfectly recovered monsieur de clenard had assumed command of the astrolabe and had been succeeded upon the boussole by monsieur de monti in a letter of two days later date giving particulars of his intended route la perouse says quote, i shall regain the friendly islands and carry out the instructions i have received with regard to the northern portion of new caledonia to santa cruz de mendana to the land south of the arsacides of serville and to the louisiade of bougainville and also ascertain if possible whether the latter constitutes a portion of new guinea or is a separate continent at the end of july seventeen eighty eight i shall pass between new guinea and new holland by some other channel than the endeavour that is to say if there be another during september and the early part of october i propose to visit the gulf of carpentaria and the eastern coast of new holland as far as van diemen's land so as to allow of my return to the north in time to arrive at mauritius in the beginning of december seventeen eighty eight end quote. not only did la perouse fail to keep the rendezvous he himself appointed but two entire years passed away and no news whatever of his expedition were received although at that epoch france was passing through a terrible crisis the interest of the public in the fate of la perouse was so intense that it found vent in an appeal to the national assembly from the members of the society of natural history in paris upon the ninth of february seventeen ninety one a decree was passed enjoining the fitting out of two or more armed vessels to be sent in search of la perouse it was argued that had shipwreck overtaken the expedition a number of the crews might still survive and that it was only just to carry help to them as soon as possible 
men of science naturalists and draftsmen were to take part in the expedition with the view to obtaining valuable information for navigation geography and commerce as well as for the arts and sciences such were the terms of the decree to which we have alluded the command of the expedition was entrusted to vice-admiral bruni d'entrecasteaux who had attracted the attention of government by his conduct in india two vessels the recherche and the esperance the latter under the orders of monsieur juan de kermadec ship's captain were placed at his command the staff of these vessels comprised many officers who later attained to high military positions amongst them were rosset willemes trobriand la grandiere lignel and jurien amongst the men of science on board were labiardier naturalist bertrand and pearson astronomers ventant and richet naturalists boutembeaupre hydrographer and juvenet engineer the vessels were stocked with provisions for eighteen months and a quantity of merchandise for trading purposes leaving brest upon the twenty eighth of september they reached teneriffe upon the thirteenth of october an ascent of the famous peak followed as a matter of course la billardier noticed a phenomenon which had already been observed by him in asia minor his figure was reflected upon the clouds below him opposite to the sun in every colour of the rainbow upon the twenty third of october the necessary provisions having been shipped anchor was weighed and the start made for the cape during the cruise la billardier discovered that the phosphorescent appearance of the sea is caused by minute globular animalculi floating on the waves the voyage to the cape where the vessels arrived upon the eighteenth of january seventeen ninety two was barren of incident if we accept the unusual quantity of bonitos or tunny and other fish that were met with and a small leakage which occurred but was quickly remedied at the cape d'entrecasteaux found a letter from monsieur de saint felix commanding the french forces in india which seemed likely to upset all his plans and exercise an unfavourable influence upon the expedition from this communication it appeared that two french captains from batavia had stated that commodore hunter in command of the english frigate sirius had seen quote, near the admiralty islands in the pacific ocean men dressed in the european style in what he took to be french uniforms it is clear wrote monsieur de saint felix quote, that the commodore was convinced they were the remnants of la perouse's company when d'entrecastreaux arrived at the cape hunter was still in the roadstead but within two hours of the arrival of the french vessels he weighed anchor this conduct appeared very strange the commodore had had time to hear that the vessels just arrived were those sent in search of la perouse and yet he had made no communication to the commander upon the subject but it was soon ascertained that hunter had declared himself quite ignorant of the facts stated by monsieur de saint felix were they then to be regarded as unfounded incredible as monsieur de saint felix's communication appeared d'entrecasteaux could not suppose so the naturalists had availed themselves of their stay at the cape to make many excursions in the neighbourhood la billardier had penetrated as far into the interior as the short stay of the frigates in the roadstead permitted 
anchor was weighed upon the 16th of February, and D'Entrecasteaux decided upon reaching the southern seas by doubling Cape Horn, and steered for the passage between St. Paul and Amsterdam Islands. Captain Valming had discovered these islands in 1696, and they had been recognized by Cook in his last voyage. When the Recherche and the Esperance passed St. Paul Island, it was enveloped in a thick smoke, through which the summits of the mountains were visible. The forests were on fire. Upon the 21st of April, the two vessels entered a bay upon the coast of Van Diemen's Land, which was supposed to be Adventure Bay, but which in reality was Storm Bay. The extreme point of this bay was named after D'Entrecasteaux. Wood was easily obtained there, and fish was very abundant. Amongst the magnificent trees of the country, La Biardier mentions various species of the eucalyptus, the many uses of which were then unknown. The hunting parties caught black swans and kangaroos, creatures also but little known. End of section 31